Come on back, everybody. We're going to start in one minute. Did you enjoy your Christian chicken? Did you enjoy your breakouts? I want to apologize to everybody who's in mine. I think I rambled for a solid 45 minutes. Oh, goodness. I didn't. Thank you. Well, it's time to worship the Lord. Come on, everybody. Let's stand to our feet as if you'd be standing on anything else. (laughs) If you can stand on your hands the entire song, we'd all love to see that. So go ahead and do that, too. But come on, let's sing a little song together, right? Hey, can we thank uh, Pastor Jonathan and Nathan for those great words earlier today? It was pretty awesome. This afternoon, we got Matt and we got Dave early. It's going to be a great, great afternoon. But uh, this band has been a blessing to me. They're, they're like all from this church. Um, I tried my hardest in the breakouts to not say anything bad about keyboardists. And I was, I, I, <laughs> I've been giving him a hard time all day. All right, you ready there, John? Go ahead there, Maestro. Let's sing a little bit. I think everybody knows this one, all right?
When we praise the Lord. And so our answer to him is always, yes, Lord, I will praise you. Yes, I will go. Yes, I will do what it is you want me to do. Because I'm a worship of you first and foremost. I think you might know this song. It's a good one to sing right here. I count on the same God that never fails. We're not failing. You won't fail me now in the way. The same God is never late. It's working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yeah. 
Amen. You guys can have a seat. God's been good to us so far, hasn't he? And he's going to continue to bless us. Uh, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Nathan and just the band. And can we thank God for the volunteers that have been serving faithfully all day and all night? Listen, it's uh, thank God for chicken. Uh, I hope that that was a blessing to you. Um, but guys, we're so thrilled that you are all here. And uh, just, just know God's going to continue to encourage us. I encourage you, just let the Holy Spirit just encourage your heart. Just, just lay those things at the feet of Jesus as you're feeling like just those walls go up. I got this, I got that, and all these things, just, just push those away. Just let the Holy Spirit just speak to you now. Um, I, had the pr- I have the privilege of introducing our next speaker. So uh, Matt Wilmington is, a, is, a pa- is executive pastor of ministries at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And, you know, he I- also teaches uh, at Liberty University and has been an encouragement to our network, a personal encouragement to me. And my role here, and so would you guys please welcome our next speaker, Matt Wilmington. All right, afternoon crowd, so uh, just get comfortable. Just don't snore, all right? Uh, Listen, it's afternoon, you're already, you're just spent, Uh, you've filled up, you've poured out and all of that, And, and as he said, you've got a little church bird in you. So listen, just don't snore, okay? But um, I want to talk to you, continue to talk to you as we've been discussing today about making disciples, making disciples. Uh, You get the idea that uh, Liberty Church Network, that we're serious about making disciples, do you? Uh, I know that Pastor Ken and and the other pastors here, are we serious about making Christ followers? And that's why we come. That's why we had the opportunity. I'm thrilled to be here. We were in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, yesterday, and I got to experience driving across. Uh, oh, it's like a three-hour drive, somebody told me or something. Like, yeah, it's four and a half hours. I got to, uh, the privilege of driving across Pennsylvania, and I really do. I'm an introvert. Any introverts in here? Yeah, you're not going to raise your hand because you're an introvert. <clears throat> I love you. I just enjoy time with myself a lot more. And uh, my tank empties real quick on days like this, and so I was actually okay. And about, I uh, hit Alatoona, and, and then the snow and the ice started. I'm like, praise Jesus. And just got to slide all the way. And, you know, at least there's not many hills. Yeah, lots of hills. And so uh, got in last night. And why do we do this? Why did you take time off of work? Why did you take time, pastors and, and church staff, to, to do something like this? Are we serious about doing what Jesus said to do? Or are we just at another conference, another session, another seminar? And I think, I think I know your hearts by just watching you throughout the day, is that we're serious about this. And so it can also be a little discouraging. If, you're not, if you come to a day like this, you should be encouraged. We hope you're encouraged. But if you're not a little bit frustrated when you leave, like if you walk out of here and you say, oh, you're driving home and I got, I, I got a little holy frustration. Pastor, that's a good sign that you actually care, right? Because when you hear these things and you hear other pastors or other leaders going, oh, we're doing this at our church or here's how we're reaching teenagers. You're like, man, we're not doing that. Hey, making disciples is hard. Amen. Like it's not easy. Leading a church is not easy. Amen. It's hard to take people from where they are in their bondage. What is leadership? Leadership is motivating a group towards a vision. 
motivating a group towards a vision. There's the children of Israel. They're in bondage in Egypt. And there's a preferred future. God said, I've come down to lead them out and up. Out and up. Leaders, that's your job description the rest of your life. You're leading people out and up to the future that God has for them. And Moses is standing in the middle. Sometimes we're pulling them. Sometimes we're cajoling them. Sometimes we're pleading with them. Sometimes we're pushing them. Sometimes we're carrying them on our backs, right? Sometimes we're flying overhead saying, come on, let's go. But the rest of our lives, if you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, a servant, first of all, but it's about helping people move towards the vision. What's the vision that God has is that people would be like his son, Jesus, every day, every day, every day. And so I want to give you a little permission to be have a little holy frustration when you leave today. When my when my friend uh, Dave Early wraps us up today, it's okay for you to be a little frustrated in a holy way. Lord, there's more work to be done. I don't want you to go out of here discouraged, okay? I don't want you to go out of here, I'm the worst pastor ever. Uh, No, because I am, okay? Or the guy next to you or the person over there. Uh, No, no, no. We have a good God, and he's going to accomplish what he asked us to do. He's going to do the work. We're not going to have to accomplish it. And so I want to talk real quick about disciple making. We've been talking about it all day long, and I'm going to give you some practical things and a a little historical perspective. Uh, I like looking at family trees. Anybody get on Ancestry.com and gone down that black hole? You've gone down the rabbit hole. You click on one and then you click on one. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're related to King Louis XIV. And it's like, look, there it is right there. I found out I have a bunch of relatives way back when from Pennsylvania. So that's cool. I don't know where in Pennsylvania. Maybe they were Quakers. But my family, I got to studying and my family came from Ye Oval. Not ye old, but Yeovil, England. And I can trace it back. Actually, I can trace one side of the family back into the 1500s, like in, in uh, Germany or something. I, I spit in the cup. I did the whole Ancestry.com. Uh, my son-in-law is American-Korean, and so he did the whole DNA thing. Man, this is cool. He had all these cool shapes and all these things, all these ethnic groups that he was part of. I'm like, man, that's cool. I'm going to do it. I spit in the cup, sent it off, come back. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have a story to tell. 100% white. I'm as white as they can come. Like, my entire family tree is from, like, England and Germany, right? That, here's our little zone right there. I mean, that's all we are. And I enjoyed studying about ancestry because I like seeing where my family came from. And one guy we could trace it back to was William Wilmington from Yeovil, England. And they were glovers. The family made gloves, leather gloves, And the whole family did it, and they were wealthy. We know the house he lived in and all kinds of things. And then his son, Henry, came over to the United States on a ship and landed in New York City May 14, 1840. I actually have the ship's registry, but there's his name. That's where he came, and he came over to St. Louis and started the family. Well, we as Christians have ancestors. You realize that? Like, this isn't the first church that's ever done this. Your church didn't start it. The Baptists didn't start it. The Methodists didn't start it. The Presbyterians. We have a family that goes back 2,000 years. And what's exciting is as we talk about these newfangled ideas of disciple-making, we've got some deep roots, just like I have a family tree of ancestry, of, 
of what my family did. My family made gloves way, way back when. Well, our family didn't make gloves way back when. You know what they made? You know, they made disciples. And so we have a 2,000-year history and ancestry, a family tree that goes back. Folks, you're not the first one trying to reach, figure out how to reach your community. Brothers and sisters have been faithfully reaching their community with the Great Commission, the gospel of Jesus, for 2,000 years. That should give us encouragement. You're not alone. We're part of a family tree. Now, hopefully, we're not clear out here on the branches that's about to be you know, sawn off. We can learn some things from them. And, and so where it starts with, we've got to go back to the roots. Uh, the Bible talks about roots, spiritual roots, that we're to be rooted in Christ. Colossians says we personally should be rooted in Christ, but the church should be rooted in Christ. And our tradition should be rooted in the family. And we always come back to these two basic questions. If you're in part of uh, any LCN meetings, we'll talk about what is a disciple and how do you make a disciple, right? What is a disciple and how do you make one? <clears throat> That seems like it should be an easy question, and a lot of times we'll spend hours and hours discussing that we make it too hard. But I want to just give you some practical things that you jot down there on that piece of paper that will maybe will help you, some diagnostic tools, okay, as you go home, as you're praying and thinking this week. The first thing is, do you have a clear definition, pastor, church leader? Do you have a clear definition of what is a disciple in your church? Now, Jesus defined disciples. Denominations do not. Associations do not. Conventions do not. Jesus defines what a disciple is. So get in God's word. But do you have it stated in a clear, succinct way? A lot of times we're trying to make something that people don't understand because we've not communicated it. So if I came to your church and I said, hey, tell me what a disciple is, what kind of answers would I get? Say, oh, we better get going on that one. And then the question is, how do you make a disciple? If, if a disciple is what we're about, then how do we make one? Every town I go to, I, I Google one thing, best coffee. Anybody like coffee, like really like coffee? Uh, I go to the best coffee. I roast my own coffee beans. I know, I'm one of those guys. Like, I really like good coffee. There's some great coffee places around here, and, and I, I, I drank my way across uh, Pennsylvania in a good way. Um, <laughs> if I go to Starbucks or one of these places or... And I, if I walk into a coffee house, I say, what do you serve? And they'll say, coffee. And if I said, tell me what coffee is. And they go, well, you know, what is coffee? Starts to sound like a Matthew McConaughey, you know, ad, right? What is coffee? Am I dreaming you or are you dreaming me? You know, it's like, what, what's coffee? Well, it's an essence. It's a feeling. It's beans, heat, and water. <laughs> That's what it is. It's beans, heat, and water. That's coffee. Now, if I ask, how do you make Coffee. Well, there's you know, some different ways, but it's pretty much beans, heat, and water. So here's my question to you as we start. Do, does your church have a clear definition of what is a disciple? Number two, do the people in your church understand the clear process of how to make a disciple? For Thomas Road, I won't uh, go through all of ours, but we say it pretty s- simply. I gave you our example. Ours is biblical. It's not the best. You can do it better. We're all going to say it differently, but it better be biblical. The, the mission of Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. That's what a Christ follower is. Well, what is, how do you define someone who loves God and loves people? I'm glad you asked. We tell our people that 
a Christ follower loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you'll see there's a paragraph there where we talk about what it means practically on a daily and weekly business schedule to do business with the Lord, to be a, a, a Christ follower. Secondly, a Christ follower loves people as Jesus loves us. Old Testament, the command in Leviticus was love your neighbor as. But then Jesus in John 13 says, I'm going to give you a new download of that command. Love one another as, as I have loved you, as, as he's wiping the, his hands off from washing their feet. And so we're to love people as Jesus does. And then you'll see, said, there's very practical steps for Thomas Road people of how to do that. And then we have a little checklist. We've got to be careful with checklists, right? Hey, if you do this, you do this, you do this, God loves you. Well, no, no, that's not true. But you can't not do things and say, I'm a disciple. And so we make it real simple. They're starting and growing. To start as a Christ follower, we ask people, and we're getting ready in our church. It's the third year I've done it. We're going to give a survey to our whole church on these questions, and we're going to be able to find out what their feedback is. And so it helps me with my staff. I have a staff of 54 paid staff, and they lead 1,500 volunteers. Hey, more people, more problems. It's a big church, but we have to scale it. We have to find out where are we with our people and how are we in making disciples? So we ask them, have you believed in Jesus for salvation? Have you been baptized in water? Have you been discipled? That's for us, taking a little book called the Start Book and walking people through and getting them established in the faith. And then, how are you growing? Because I start being a disciple by doing those things, but what am I doing beyond that? I have been walking with Jesus for 54 years, okay? I just turned 60 in December. Happy birthday to me, right? But uh, I've been a Christian. Thank you, Dave. I've been a Christian for 54 years. So what have I... I was a disciple back when I was uh, in in my teenage years. So what have I been doing since then? Well, I've been growing in Christ. I've been growing. And so we ask them, are you attending regularly? Are you reading the Bible and praying regularly? Are you giving through the church? Are you participating in a group? Are you serving? Are you helping others to follow Jesus? And so these are marks of a Christ follower. They're they're the pulses. They're the dashboard. These are mine. These are ours. What's yours? What's yours? I want to encourage you to come up with something that's very clear and very simple for you people. Well, that's what we do, and, and the Bible is pretty clear about things. But what did the early church understand that Jesus meant? If the early church was sitting in an LCN meeting like this, What would they be showing on the screen? What did they understand was the mission of the church and how they were to make disciples? Because we know that Jesus taught the apostles, the disciples. He gave, in John 17, he says, I've given them your teaching, Father. And then the apostles took it and they gave it to the church. Uh, Acts chapter 2, they continued in the apostles' teaching. So they discipled people. Well, the good news, and some of you know this, you've read church history, the good news is, is that we actually have the records of that church for the first 200 years. And there's hundreds of years of church history, but from about 50 A.D. to 250 A.D., we have the writings of people like Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp, Irenaeus, Justin, Tertullian, and others who were church fathers, church leaders. They were apologists of the church. They were the disciples of 
Peter and the disciples of John, and, and they knew the apostles. And so they, they heard it from, they didn't know Jesus, but they knew John. And then they led and made disciples in the way that they heard it. We know from reading from Scripture that if I were to boil it down, and I teach a couple of classes at Liberty, and I'll say things like if you want to get a picture of what the church was doing, uh, all of the New Testament books touch on it, but I read Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 6, Acts 15. This is how the church was functioning. Read 1 Thessalonians 2. Read 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14. This was practical Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, it was just basically what the church was doing. This is what our ancestors were doing. This is what our early family was doing to make disciples. And so what did it look like? Nothing I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes is going to be a surprise to any of you. But I want to encourage you with truth, okay? Especially for those of you who are going, oh, there's so much to do. There's so much to do. Well, let's look at it. The early church, what didn't they do? They did not focus on programs. Staffing, budgets, buildings, strategy. It's just not in there. I mean, I've, I was just reading this whole last semester. I had taken a class and I read hundreds of pages and sat through hours of lectures and I was studying and studying. They're just not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm not saying they didn't do it, but they're just not focused on those types of things. Do I think that's wrong for us as church leaders to, to, to spend attention on that? No, uh, it's okay. I have a staff. I've got to get home tomorrow, and, and I'm back out of town, but I'm there for a day and a half. I've got a lot of things I've got to do. Paul said the daily weight of running the church, the, the burdens of the church. But just don't focus on those things. Early on, uh, the churches were interdependent, not independent. We could get into a debate here about uh, associations or denominations. But here's what we do know. The churches were interdependent for those 200 years. Like they prayed for each other. They wrote letters to each other. They visited each other. They did what we're doing here. They were not just independent. We're independent. No, no, no. They were together. And we find out from history that they were autonomous, but they were not alone. I pray there's not one church represented here that just kind of walks your, your road alone. We're, we're the only ones. We're the only, no, you're not the only ones. We have a big family, and you need to link arms with other brothers and sisters, even if it's a few towns or villages away from you. Well, what else? We find out that they have low structure, very low structure. And this doesn't come as a surprise, uh, surprise to you, but they had low structure in the church. Uh, they did. They had elders, pastors. They had one presiding elder or lead pastor, and they had deacons. And then soon after that, some of the elder overseers, one would kind of rise above because there were more churches in uh, the city, and they had to help out more of the Christians. And so structure started to come after those 200 years. But early on, it was a very kind of a flat, easy, low structure. They were low on strategy, low on strategy, but they were high on passion. They didn't have a lot of slides. They didn't have a lot of handouts. They didn't have a lot of whiteboards, but they were high on passion. They just were going after it for God's glory. And they were sharing their hearts with their community. And they were shining Jesus. And they were short and simple. Hopefully like me. Short. I'm definitely short. I don't know if I'm simple. 
but short and simple. In making disciples, they were short and simple. And I mentioned this when I was here before, but I'll mention it again. This has captured my attention in the last few years. How long does it take to make a disciple? Well, it's tied to mental cognitive development in their hearts and all like that. But as you read the New Testament, how long did it take Jesus to make disciples? About three years. How long did it take Paul to make disciples? About two to three years. Read his experience there in Ephesus. It didn't take a long time because they were focused on it and they weren't doing a lot of other things. Now, let me ask you a question. These are questions I want you to talk to your team about. How long does it take your church to make a disciple? How long does it take your youth ministry to make a disciple? You say, well, that's an impossible question. If you can't answer it, that's your answer, right? No, they knew. Acts 14, it was clear. Paul would go to a city. They would preach the gospel. They would strengthen the disciples. And they would raise up elders. And then they'd go home. And he said, we made disciples and moved on. And I will repeat what I had said when I was here last time. I think one of the challenges in our churches is that we've allowed Christians to become consumers. They're the audience. We have in a little built-in job security. Come hear me preach the word every week. Come be led by our ministers, by our singers. And you keep coming to us because you're not quite ready yet. Now, none of us would say those words. But here's what I want to ask you. Do your disciples know that they're ready to deploy? Are they ready to deploy? Is there somebody in your church that they don't know their spiritual gifts and they've been in your church for 10, 15, 20 years, they still don't know their spiritual gifts? Well, I'm still being discipled. And I think one of the dangers in the Western church and probably other regions around the world is that we've so dumbed it down and so slowed it down that, well, we're just going to be in here together being discipled until Jesus comes back. And that's why people aren't putting their hands on the work. That's why they're not rising up and say, Pastor, I'll help you. Because we haven't told them, you're a disciple now. Jump in here, roll up your sleeves and help. You have gifts. You have the Holy Spirit. You got the Word of God. We have a great commission. We have a great God. We got a family. Let's go. What are we waiting on? And so I want you to think through, does your church, do people know how, what a disciple is, how one is made? And then have you actually looked at people and say, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. Hey, I want you to give announcements. I want you to pray in the next service. I want you to do a talk in our youth ministry. I want you to teach a class. Do we tell people you're discipled, you're deployed? Maybe you need to have a commissioning service and just deploy people that have been sitting there for a long, long time. It was very short, and they kept them going out. Well, when you study the early church, let me give you these two things to think about. If you boil it all down, what were they doing in Sunday services when they gathered? What was the church doing? And the picture I've, I've come up with as I read and studied, especially for the Sunday morning, they did two things. It's two words, teaching and table. Teaching and table. Teaching. Here's what they did. They focused on the truth. And you know this. I, I, I warned you a couple minutes ago. Nothing I'm going to say is going to be startling to you. My question is not do you know it. My question is are you doing it? Right? You know the old statement? Many of us have been educated beyond our obedience. Educated beyond our practice. And that's the problem. And so are we doing this? Teaching. Teaching. Jesus was the content. Duh. 
But what's the content of your Sunday services? Did they come to see Jesus or did they come to get something else? Jesus was central. He was the content. The gospel was central. The gospel was central. Uh, The gospel was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Is gospel an adjective? No. Gospel is a noun. It's something that, it's that, it's that, it is that medicine. It's that, that precious message that we've got to give to people. And we've diluted it. We've diluted it with a lot of things. With political statements and moral statements and cultural. We, it just, it's gotten to be this big thing. And people go, I don't want the gospel. No, what they don't want is all this stuff we've been saying. I'm not saying we, we, we shouldn't stand up and teach truth, right? We need more churches standing up and talking truth about the culture and, and about what we should do as, as Americans and in our communities. But what the gospel is, is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the gospel was very clear, was very central. Baptism was the entrance. Baptism was the entrance. And I know we have some different traditions here, and so I'm not going to offend you, hopefully, because your church may say it a little bit differently than someone else. Um, My understanding, our understanding, and basically of the scriptures is baptism is not for salvation. But there's a danger, and I'm a Baptist, there's a danger sometimes that we just make baptism a celebration, and it's this big thing that goes on, and then we just move on. And we get a lot of people baptized And then we just have wet babies and they don't know what they're doing. And yet the early church was very clear that the baptism was the entrance. They understood that when I come to baptism, I know what I'm getting into. The teaching up to this point has been so clear. Gospel has been so clear that if I'm coming to the water's edge, this is like getting ready to parachute. I'm not just going for a, this is a cool camp night thing at youth camp and, you know, everybody else is doing it. I just want to feel the, feel the God vibes. Now, they understood baptism was the picture of the washing away of sins. They were getting that forgiveness from the blood of Jesus. They were leaving their old life and they, when they came back up, they were not going to walk the same again. They knew that baptism was bringing them into the, the image of Jesus, of what he did, buried with him in the likeness of his death, uh, raised to walk in a new life, the resurrection. One of our younger pastors last week at Thomas Road, he, got, he was nervous. He, you're, you're nervous when you baptize for the first time? And, and he started to put her down. He goes, buried with him in the likeness of his resurrection, and he got her down in. And he caught it, and, he's, and he giggled. Don't giggle in the baptistry. And he's like, he's like, oh, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. He got out afterwards. I said, man, we had a little NASCAR baptism there. She just kept coming around twice for the resurrection. I thought that was pretty good. But baptism was the entrance into God's family. Baptism was the entrance into the local assembly, the local family. And so we don't want to make more of baptism than, you know, we don't want to say it it washes away your sins. But have you made baptism serious enough? Like people know what they're doing. And when people come, yes, it is a celebration, but it's, it's, it's serious. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then last of all, obedience was expected. Obedience was expected. They didn't just give the message If you were invited into the church, if you heard the gospel, obedience was something 
that you just knew. If Jesus says it, we will do it. And I do this not all the time, but I'm doing it more often now as I, I, I love God's word. The older I get, um, I'll stand up at Thomas Road and I'll, I'll say, we're getting ready to read this word, the word of God. How many of you believe that this is the word of God? And everybody will say, yes, you know, unless there's some visitors. And then I'll say, so since we all believe this is the word of God, we know that whatever we read in the next few moments, we all agree that we're going to do it. Amen. And it gets a lot quieter. The pastors, I think we need to start teaching more like that, don't you? We need to start saying, this is the word of God. These are not my words. I heard Dave uh, years ago sitting at a lunch at Shakers. He has a lot of wisdom. And to a young pastor who was a little full of himself, good man, and he was talking about the authority he had. And uh, had a lot of honor culture going on, and he was very honored, and, and he had a lot of authority. And on. He just kept going and going, and Dave just kept picking at his, his uh, salad. And finally he looked up and he said, son, let me tell you something. And I sat back and I said, oh, good, the meeting's on. He said, son, the only authority you have is when you stand up and open the word of God. Authority, as Rush used to say, on loan from God, on loan from God. That's the only authority we have, elders, pastors, overseers. That's what we have. But we have to teach obedience. So they taught teaching. There was teaching in the church. There, there weren't a lot of programs. There weren't a lot. They were teaching. And I had a teacher that said it this way. The things we're talking about here... Can the Holy Spirit do new things in our churches? Yes. Should we try different things on the Internet? And, you know, should we start doing virtual church? I, I don't know. Try all kinds of things. He says we can try new things. The Holy Spirit's going to birth new things in our assemblies. Not saying he can't do new things, but don't let go of the old things. Don't stop doing the things that our family has done for 2,000 years and think that we're going to do it better because they got it from the apostles, and the apostles got it from Jesus. And Jesus still attends your church every Sunday. The table. The table was the community. So they had the teaching and the table. The table were the family members. Yes, the Bible talks about the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Those are are good images. But the strongest real definition of, of church in the New Testament is family. More passages about the family of God. We are a family. And they were members. There was membership they focused on. They knew who was in their church and who was not in their church. They practiced the one another's of Scripture. Those 23 or 25 or 27, however you read them, but those one another's love one another, teach one another, uh, hold one another accountable, uh, you know, encourage one another, serve one another. They were doing those things weekly the early church they were praying and confessing every sunday every sunday they were praying together they were confessing their sins to one another james chapter 5 and they were practicing church correction they were correcting now let me just do a real quick check here does anybody want to go back to legalism land does anybody want to go back to those you just had a shudder when i said correction Does anybody want to go back to laws and rules and legalism? No. But the pendulum swings, doesn't it? To where it comes from legalism now to lawlessness. And we need, as elders, as church leaders, we need to correct. We are correcting people in Thomas Road right now. It's painful. It's burdensome. We've had to deal with counselors. We've had to deal with police. We've had to do all kinds of things. We have to correct. Why? Because we're shepherds. 
And we're to guard the flock from outside and inside. And so every week they were praying together. They were confessing sin. Yes, they were serving and giving. Okay, this is where all the pastors get happy, right? See that? They were serving and giving. Well, they were, and we should be serving and giving, but they were doing it weekly. And then they were having communion. If baptism was that picture, it was that serious, deep celebration of coming into the family. The communion was the weekly invitation back to the table to celebrate being in the family. Communion, and again, we may have some differences in here, but early on, they understood that this is not the bread is, is not the body and, the, and the, the wine is not the blood. But they did understand that Jesus is at the table. Uh, they, weren't, they didn't necessarily, as you read their early writings, they weren't saying that uh, we're eating the body of Christ, but they would say we are eating with Christ. Every Sunday, Jesus showed up. And that's how you rededicated yourself to, to God. It was not by getting rebaptized. That's not something they did in the early church. But they would eat communion every week to say, we are in Christ and he is in us and we are together. And it is. This is a challenge. I'm just going to tell you. And I come from a big church. They had the Lord's Supper every week. You know that, right? Every week they had it. Matter of fact, this was not, and I'm not saying what we do is bad. We do the same thing. But the pulpit was not the center of the early church. The table was. And they were building that around. And there's a way for us to do it. I think we do a good job in a big church at Thomas Road. It's challenging. But pastors, these are the things that we have to focus on. Ignatius, the Antioch bishop, he said, Therefore, make every effort to come together more frequently to give thanks and glory to God. For when you meet together frequently, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his destructiveness is nullified by the unanimity of your faith. We need to be together as it gets darker out, folks. Do you agree with that? Like, we need the family. Uh, Charles mentioned, it's true, you know, people attend church now 1.8 times a month. And after COVID, a lot of people shook loose. Well, I watch it on, you know, on YouTube every once in a while. We need to look at people and say, hey, you need to get at the family table. We need to be together. We need to be the family. And that's a great, uh, just a great segue there to, to, to say, whose table is it? You know, we've come through the phases of, and then there's good things about all of these. We've come through the phase of, well, it's, it's the Sunday morning table is for the lost people. They're going to come in and hear the gospel. And so we had seeker sensitive. And then it's like, no, 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 it's not for the lost people. The table is for uh, Christians. So we just have Sunday services for Christians. And then others say, no, no, more specifically, we have Sunday morning service. It's just for the family, just for our church members. And so you can't even have communion if you're not one of our church members. And there could be good points to all of those. But brothers and sisters, the table is not for the lost people. It's not for the Christians. It's not for the church members. It's for Jesus. It's the Father's table. And we've got to remind ourselves we're inviting people to his table. So how do we make disciples? They're at the bottom of your sheet. Reminder of what Jesus said in the Great Commission. We are to disciple in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How can you describe the Trinity in one word? But make disciples in their names, not just baptize in the names, but we need to make disciples. The Father is provision. We have a Father who provides and protects as a good dad does. 
And we need the disciples to hear that and to know that, especially the men in our churches. The son provides the pastoring. He is the shepherd. He shows us which way to go. And the spirit is the power. He gives us the energy to defeat sin and to be encouraged and to keep going. That's what it's about. And it's challenging. This week, I'm texting with a man who's in his 60s. He's been coming to our church a, a year and a half. And he prayed recently to receive Christ. We've been having spiritual conversations one-on-one. I've been building relationship. And he came forward. He grabbed another one of our men that we're friends with. And we knelt and he prayed and received Christ. We've started to meet to go through a little book called Our Start Book. And this is the most challenging disciple-making process I'm in. Because he's wearing women's clothes. And he has not just, he's not just transgender. But he genuinely has gender dysphoria. Deep, deep. He's had it since he was eight years old. And everybody told him, don't go to church. They're going to they're try to change you. And this whole time we've been building relationships, I've looked at him and I said, I don't care about all that. I care about your soul. Now, Jesus is going to have something to say. And folks, we've got to balance this out, right? Jesus says, come as you are, come as you are. And all the, the new churches, come as you are, come as you are. But you've heard the statement, I'm going to repeat it. No, no, no. Jesus did say, come as you are, but he never said, stay as you were. We've got to have churches where the doors are open there. And we're saying, come as you are. But I've been telling this guy up front, but you can't stay as you were. You have to let Jesus help you. I've dealt with Christian psychiatrists and counselors. We've been talking with them. We're talking about, does he want to be baptized or not? Yes, he does. No, he's, he just texted me. He doesn't want to meet next week. So I'm praying for him. I did. I looked at him. I said, we were sitting at, at my church lobby and we were, he has gone through such things I can't even describe. And I looked at him and I almost choked up. I said, buddy, I can't imagine what you've come through. And I'm going to be honest. This is going to sound heretical. I don't know what the steps of discipleship quite look like for you. I know what the word of God says. I know the big, big steps. But I said, your past going to look different than most of ours. But I'm going to walk it with you. Folks, we've got to walk the path with them. Who are you walking the path with and making a disciple today? And I'll leave you with Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Encouragement. I hope you've been encouraged. I want to tell you these simple things. A lot of us are doing these things. Good job. Keep doing it. Yes, we've got to do stuff for the kids and for the, you know, for the missions and for this and for the community parade and all the music. It's all good. But don't let go of these things, the basics of what the church was and what our family did. And when you ever get discouraged, just remember Acts 28, 31. And you know this, right? Acts 28, Acts is a different book than the rest of the New Testament books. Why? It's the only book that doesn't have an ending. Think about that. The rest of the 26 New Testament books all end. And grace and peace to you. And I'm writing this letter in my own hand. And God bless everybody. We'll see you soon. Right? Every book except, except for the book of Acts. Why? And you know why. Because it was our family history. It's our family tree of making disciples. It's the story of our great commission, dad's business. And it hasn't finished yet. And you do, as they say, get to write chapter 29 and 30 and 31. And we're in the chapter maybe 72 right now. But here's what it says as we end. Acts 28, 
Paul is in jail. Remember that? He's in Rome. He's in prison. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness and without restriction. Can we pray that for each other? That we will have such shalom in our hearts and the Holy Spirit in our lives that as you go out and lead your ministries, like the book of Acts in chapter 28, we're just able pastors and church leaders and disciple makers. We're able to preach Jesus with complete boldness. It's going to get darker out. But joyful smiles on our faces, complete boldness without restriction. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is opening the doors. Amen? And that's what your Father has given to you to do. So let's do it. Father, thank you so much for giving us a family to be a part of. Thank you so much for giving us your name and inviting us into the family business of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Lord, help us to answer these questions today for our own churches, our own ministries. And then just encourage us, Holy Spirit, that we can do this because you will do it through us. Free some pastors in here today to go back and not to be burdened with all of the the stuff, but to be focused on the life-giving message. Lord, we pray that we will hold the hands up of every pastor that's here, that we will all serve together. And God, that one day we'll hear you say to all of us as disciple makers, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the day we watch for, Lord. We love you. Encourage us and fill us up today. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Matt. So our, uh, our next speaker, I want to uh, turn your attention to the guy named Dave Early. And, and if you haven't heard of him, you, you will, because he's published some incredible books that I know have blessed many of you. And, uh, and I, I just I remember when I was talking about Refuel to Our Church, and I, I said to Dave Early, I went and back and sat down in the tech booth, and uh, the lady I was working with, she's like, I know him. And, you know, I just know his books have blessed many people. But Dave Early is a church planner. He's a pastor over in Grove City in Ohio, and uh, he's published many books. He's an assistant professor uh, at Liberty University in pastoral leadership. So would you guys welcome our next speaker, Dave Early. Wasn't Matt's talk good? I'm thinking, Matt is getting smarter all the time, and... uh, that's good, good stuff. I'm, I'm really happy to be at this church. Um, I've been familiar with this church for 30 years because Joel, uh, jo- Joanne, jo- I call her Joanne, Joan Lance Angus. Anybody ever heard of her? Grew up here, and so she's always telling me about this church. I heard about it. Uh, your uh, former pastor, Kim, was in one of my classes about 10 or 12 years ago, and so I've heard a lot about your church. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, so I'm a Buckeye, but it's good to be here with Jens. Uh, my wife's from northeast Pennsylvania, and people are Ewans there, uh, so I had to get corrected on my pronunciation. But how many of you are pastors? Can I see your hands? You're, you're on staff uh, at a church. How many of you are not? How many of you are tired? You're not raising your hand no matter what I ask you. I could be giving out $10 bills. You're not. Uh, well, I just want to wrap this up 
And please understand, Refuel exists for one thing. We're here to encourage you in your personal ministry, your church ministry of making disciples. So that's why we're here. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a church member, you're a pastor, a staff member, I want to encourage you to make a decision when you leave here that you're going to invest time out of your week, every week, for the rest of your life in making disciples. Time out of your week, out of your life, for the rest of your life, in making disciples. You say, well, what exactly are you telling me to do? I've heard all this stuff. Well, I'm really simple. I'm from southern Ohio. I'm very simple. I'm going to give you three things, three biblical things that you can do. Three things that you can do. And I know you can do them because when I was 19 years old, I had only been a Christian two years. I really didn't know hardly anything. I read a little booklet called Born to Reproduce. It was by a man named Dawson Trotman. And the point of the booklet, it was just a little thing, was that he he got saved. He learned how to lead people to Christ. That was me. But they didn't grow after that, and he couldn't figure out why. And, And then he realized he didn't spend any time with them helping them grow. And I'm like, that sounds like me. And what he did was was memorize. He taught him to memorize scripture. He he got in the word with him. He prayed for him. He prayed with him. And he invested time in them. And I'm like, I can do that. The word, prayer, invest time. I can do that. Guess what? Turn the person next to you and say, you could do that. You can do that. Well, I'm 19 years old. I live in a dorm at... At Liberty University, Dorm 8, which doesn't exist any longer. And uh, I, did, I, I started praying. It was the beginning of the second semester. It's January. I'm praying. I say, God, this guy says all you got to do is, is the word and pray and invest. And I can do that. So I'll do it. I am willing. Give me somebody. And I prayed every day and night, two prayer times, for two weeks, and this guy comes up to me named Daryl, and he said, I hear that you know how to spend time with God. He said, I don't know how to spend time with God. Would you spend time with me teaching me how to spend time with God? I'm like, yeah. Well, he worked at night. I was busy in the daytime. There was no time we could get together until 11 o'clock at night. Now, at that time, Liberty had a rule book called the Liberty Way, and uh, my resident assistant was a Marine, and they had a rule. You weren't allowed to talk or have lights on in a dormitory after 11 p.m., except in one place, the bathroom. Now, let me explain this, Okay. This story is really hard to tell in this culture. Let me explain this to you. The bathroom uh, at dorm 8 had a whole bunch of sinks on this end and a whole bunch of sinks on that end, and then everything else with a bathroom was in the middle. So we said we can meet under the sinks on our side of the dorm at 11 o'clock. So Daryl comes in with his Bible. I'm there. We, we pray together, and then we memorize the Scripture 
And then I take whatever I got out of the word earlier in the day and go over it with him. It takes about, I didn't know much. I didn't, you know, 10 minutes. And then we prayed. And then I tried to hang out with now that I knew him. And he was dating a girl. I was dating a girl. We tried to hang out together. That's what we did. And we had so much fun the first night. He goes, can we do this more? And and we figured out Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Five nights a week, we met in the bathroom. In fact, we called it the Bathroom Baptist Temple. (laughs) Luke said I was a church planner. That was my first church plan. Well, after that first night, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, God, this was so cool. I love this. I mean, I here's a guy who I'm not very far along. He's one step behind me, and I get to help him take his next steps. This is so good. Thank you for this opportunity. Give me another one. And I told Daryl about it the next night, and so he's praying with me. So we pray together every night for two weeks. We go in. Bathroom Baptist Temple, we're down at our end of the hall, we open our Bibles, and this guy comes in with his Bible, and we're like, who are you? And he's like, I am uh, Tim. And we're like, why are you here? He said, I'm here to join the Bathroom Baptist Temple. (laughs) I'm like, get out, what are you talking about? How have you even heard of the Bathroom Baptist Temple? He said, well, the last two weeks, I'm down on this end brushing my teeth. And I hear what you guys are doing on this end, and I need what you're doing. Can I join? We said, sure. Man, the Bathroom Baptist Temple is experiencing explosive growth. (laughs) We were the fastest growing church in Virginia. Well, that night I'm laying in bed and I'm going, God, this is awesome. Here's two people that know less than I do. And uh, they're willing to meet with me, and all i got to do is pray for them and pray with them and memorize the Word and, and, and teach them whatever I got out of the Word and just try to hang out with them in their schedule whenever I can. Give me another one. This is the truth, okay? Exactly two weeks later. I'm in there. Daryl's in there. His other brother Daryl's in there. Uh, Tim is in there. We open up our Bibles, and this, this, this short guy about my size with curly red hair comes running in. Am I late? And I said, late for what? He said, the Bathroom Baptist Temple. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. How have you ever heard of the Bathroom Baptist Temple? He said, Tim is my roommate. And all he talks about is the Bathroom Baptist Temple. And he has changed so much in the last two weeks. Whatever you're doing, I need. I tell you what, the Bathroom Baptist Temple is exploding in growth. Well, this is the truth. God kept bringing us people as people heard about the Bathroom Baptist Temple. In fact, we outgrew the bathroom. Our marine resident assistant, it bothered him that there was so much going on in the back. He gave us our own room, and we packed it out. Now, the beautiful thing is, the next year, my dorm had four bathroom Baptist temples. Dave's, 
Daryl's, his other brother Daryl, Jim and Tim. And out of that group that we, we were discipling, one guy became the, the president of a major mission board with a thousand missionaries, and another guy became the president of a mission board with 333 missionaries. Say, yay, God. Okay, I was 19 years old. All I knew was prayer, the word, invest. Turn to the person next to you and go, you can do it. Okay, let's, that's, you're not doing it very well. <laughs> let's say you're from Jersey, all right? You're, you're from Kathy's side of the state, and uh, you're a little mobbed up, so I want you to say, you can do it. Go ahead. You can do it. There you go. Well, I want to show you, biblically, Mac took you back 18 1900 years. I want to go another 15, 1600 years beyond that. We're going to go back to Moses. And I want to show you, I'm going to teach for just a little bit. I want to show you from Scripture that historically, the three things that disciple makers have done, that shepherds have done, that pastors have done, is prayer the word, and make investing in disciples. You're a pastor. You've you got all this stuff. You're trying to figure it out. What do you do? <laughs> the word, prayer, and disciples. You're going through a global pandemic. What do you focus on? The word, prayer, and disciples. You're a new Christian, and you want to make a difference in the kingdom. Find somebody a step behind you. And just take in whatever you got, give them the word and prayer and invest in them to disciple them. So let's go back to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. And three things every pastor, every, every uh, disciple maker needs to do. And I'm gonna, we're going to read this. Exodus 18, verse 14. So when Moses' father-in-law, um, your father-in-law's are either blessings or maybe not, but this guy is. He says, Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he did for the people, and Moses was, was a solo pastor, solo shepherd. He's the one guy doing everything. If you're in your church and you're the one guy doing everything, your church is very limited in how much impact it's going to have because it's limited to you, right? And that's what his, his father-in-law, Jethro, who's a big-time rancher, sees. And he says, well, this thing that you're doing for the people, why do you alone... What, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you uh, do it? Do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and the other. And I make known the statutes of God and his law. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, dummy. That's in the Hebrew. This thing that you do is not good. This is not good. Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to even do it well yourself. It's not good. It's not God's plan. It's not good for the people, and it's not going to be good for you, and you're going to burn out, and it's not going to work. And so he says, you've got you to get a different plan. 
Three things that his father-in-law tells him to do. He said, one, I want you to pray. Verse 19, stand before God for the people so that you may bring their difficulties to God. What's your job? Pray for them. Second, he said, teach, verse 20, you shall teach them the statutes, so teach them the word and the laws, and show them in the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Show them the Bible and how to apply it. I was 19, it's basically, this is what it says, this is what I think it means, and this is what I try to do. Third, he says, train layers of leaders. Verse 21 and 22, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, place over, uh, such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people for all the times. Then it will be that every matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So get some leaders, get layers of leaders. You got people over tens, and you got people over fifties, and you got people over hundreds, and you got people over thousands. The result, look at verse 22. So it will be easier for you, going to be better for you, for they'll bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place of in peace. So I know this passage means something to me because when I taught at Liberty, one semester they came to me. I generally taught in the graduate school, but they came to me and said, you know what, we've got this uh, junior level class for pastoral duties and uh, the professor's no longer with us and you're teaching it in three weeks. And I'm like, they've got a syllabus, do they got textbooks? And I looked at what they were teaching and it was how to do weddings, how to do funerals, how to hold meetings, how to visit people in the hospital. And um, I'm like, that's all good stuff, but what does the Bible say pastors should do? Exodus, the very first pastor in the Bible, Moses, his father-in-law, God, through his father-in-law, said, you're supposed to do three things, bud. You're supposed to pray, you're supposed to teach the word, and you're supposed to develop layers of leaders. Now, if something is truly a biblical principle, it's going to be elsewhere in Scripture, right? Well, at that time, I happened to be reading the life of Jesus. I was re- my devotions was reading the Gospels every day. So I would read several chapters of the Gospels every day, different translations, commentaries, every day for three years. I just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus said you're supposed to teach, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And I'm thinking, I don't even know everything he commanded. I better figure that out. So I, that's all. I lived there for three years. And I had written down about a month earlier three things Jesus did all the time. What did he do? What did Jesus do? He's always praying. And he taught them to pray. So that's, that's something Moses didn't do, but Jesus did. He taught them to pray. He prayed and taught them to pray. Prayed with them. He taught the word. He taught it. One on three, one on twelve, one on seventy, one on five thousand, one on... He taught the word and 
He made disciples. He had the three, the 12, the 70. He only did three things. Everything else he did was part of those three things. I think this is pretty interesting. What did uh, his disciples do? Go to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Church is exploding. They've got problems. These guys are getting caught up in busy work. And uh, the apostles and the three things that they're supposed to do. Acts chapter 6. Problems always force you to reprioritize, right? Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It's not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, who you can appoint for this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the ministry of prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. They said, we're going to do three things. Three things. We're going to go back to prioritizing, not getting busy doing everything else. We're going to get back to prioritizing prayer and teaching our people to pray. In Acts 2, it says the people committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers, talking about three times a day they gathered to pray. We're going to go back to leading the prayer meetings and praying. We're going to go back to teaching the Word of God, teaching what Jesus commanded us to teach, and we're going to have another layer of leaders. The result, pretty good result. Uh, It says in verse... um, Seven, so the preaching about God flourished and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. You know, let me ask you, is your ministry multiplying greatly? I mean, I was in a hotbed, right? I was at Liberty University. I had young guys, and so I, I could see multiplication happen the very next year. But I've also seen it as a pastor. I've seen ministry multiply. You multiply groups by multiplying disciples. You multiply churches by multiplying church planters. Three things. Pray, teach the word, and invest in people. Turn the person next to you and go, you can do it. Look, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I love this because it's a universal principle. Paul taught Timothy. So at the time I'm teaching this pastor's class, I I figured I better figure out what you're supposed to teach young pastors. So I read Timothy and Titus over and over again, and I noticed Paul told Timothy uh, three things to do. Now, Timothy was a young pastor of the church of Ephesus, which was the most strategic church in that region in Turkey. All the seven churches of Asia Minor all came out of Ephesus. What did Paul tell Timothy to do? Guess what? Three things. Number one, pray. He says, first of all, I urge that prayers, prayers, intercessions, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men. The prayers is all types of prayers. I love the fact that here Pastor Ken is leading this church 21 days of prayer. And you guys are seeing God doing some crazy good stuff. You know, most pastors don't pray very much. I... Let me, t- let me in on a secret. Most pastors have lousy prayer lives. Statistics, I, I've studied and looked hard to find statistics on pastor prayer lives, 
And the, one, one, one research found that average pastor prays eight minutes a day. Not counting as, you know, in the worship service prayers, eight, eight minutes a day. Another one, more generous, said 15 minutes a day. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? You know, in China, where most of the pastors are bivocational and the church is exploding, guess how many minutes a day they pray? 120. A friend of mine did a research project over all the multiplying small groups, people who multiplied small groups, lay people who multiplied their small group, lay people who multiplied their small group, Spend an average of 90 minutes a day with God in the word and personal prayer. How many think God can do things better than you can? How about bigger than you can? Faster than you can? I don't believe you if you don't have a prayer life. Because if you, have a, if you really believe that, you will have a prayer life. Otherwise, you're thinking you can do it bigger and better and faster than God. Turn to the person next to you and go, ouch. Go ahead. Ouch. Well, he, then he says, teach the word. Do your best to present yourself as God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, preach the word. You know, seriously, people are like, well, don't, don't use too much Bible. You're offend the seekers. I find genuine seekers want to know what the Bible said. For 30 years, Kathy and I off and on have taught a class for seekers called Christianity 101. And the first le- we get people want to come when we tell them we're going to teach you how to Look things up in the Bible, how to understand what the Bible's saying, and and we're gonna we're, everything we're gonna do is gonna come from the Bible. We sit around the class with Bibles and we wait, and we look up every verse, and we wait for everybody to get there because it takes you know people have never done this before; they have no idea. Seekers want to know what the Bible says. Preach the word, he says. I mean, think God is smarter than you. Why preach something other than what he says? I'm just saying. Uh, number three, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit the faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Make disciples. Make disciples. You say, well, I, I don't really... Well, look, I'll tell you one thing you can do. Figure out what God's taught you and then just teach it to them. Write down seven life lessons God's taught you. Write a little Bible study about it and just teach it to them. Because if you're really making a disciple, you're going to teach those ten things to them eventually anyway. Just do it. Turn to the person next to you and go, you can do this. You can do it. Well, I could keep going. I could... Tells you in Ephesians you're supposed to equip the saints. The word's cauterizo. You know there are only three things that equip saints. Hebrews uh, 13, verse 20 and 21 says prayer equips saints. Paul prayed for their equipping. I mean, the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, prayed for their equipping. 
the word, obviously, 2 Timothy 3, it says it's, you know, this, all scriptures got given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be mature and per- thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Luke 6.40, investment in a disciple. It says that Luke uh, 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained, perfectly equipped will be like his teacher. What, what are pastors supposed to be doing? Three things. What are disciple makers supposed to do? Three things. What are youth pastors supposed to do? Three things. What are Sunday school teachers supposed to do? Three things. What are life group leaders supposed to do? Three things. I'm getting older, and I'm much more, I'm at this place in life where there's only, the only thing that really captures my attention is eternal things. Eternal things. Guess what? There are three eternal things. I mean, apart from God, who is eternal. You want to know what they are? Prayer. Prayer. Twice in Revelation, we're told that our prayers are kept as incense. Every genuine prayer is, is kept as worship to God in heaven. The word, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. Disciples, you know what Paul uh, told the Thessalonians? He said, what's going to be my joy and crown when I stand before Jesus? You, my disciples. Three things. You've just had great teaching all day about discipleship and encouragement. I just want to encourage you to invest some of your life, every week of your life, for the rest of your life, making disciples. Turn to the person next to you and go, you can do it. (laughs) I just want to encourage you to take some time of your life, every week of your life, for the rest of your life, and make disciples. Because you can do it. So this is the last question. I'm done. This is it. Will you do it? Will you do it? Now, I think, are you guys going to sing? What are you going to sing? See a victory and a holy forever. You got somebody just play the keyboard for like two minutes? All right. You coming in? Come on in. Zip line in. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be cool? The, the pianist zip, or guitar player for the close. Zip lines in. That's all. Hey, let's give a hand for John, all right? Yeah. Okay, we're going to do, do something here. I, you know, everybody got on a plane and took off, so I think it's just me and Matt here, pretty much. So we're going to do whatever we want. Um, if you would say, God really did speak to me today and in the last hours. God really spoke to me through Matt's God spoke to me, and there's something he really planted in me that I, I need to obey and do. And you mean it? Uh, Matt, why don't you, you stand over here, all right? And just come on down, and, and you can tell Matt what it is. And Ken... Um, I want you to stand right here, okay? If if you came in kind of beat up, kind of battered a little bit, discouraged, 
maybe you don't really want to go back home because it's kind of nice to not be in there, that situation, whatever it is, at your church. And you just like some prayer. Ken and, and Luke, why don't you stand over here and just, you can tell them what it is. Rhonda, you want to stand over there with them? Kathy, you want to stand over here on Matt's side? Start playing. Look, it's dumb to come into a place with a burden like this and leave with the same burden. It's dumb to have something burning in your heart and not do something with it. I was at Saddleback Church probably 15 years ago. You you were out there, Matt. Remember, do you remember we were out there? And I was in a transition in my life, and I needed a word from God. And Rick Warren was talking, and I was in the tent furthest away from the auditorium. And the more he talked, God, the more God talked to me. And by the end of his talk, I was in the auditorium he was in, and I was the first person on my knees. And God, God gave me the word I needed for the next 10 years of my life. Bow your heads and close your eyes. But if God's speaking to you, Maybe you came in beat up and you just want some encouragement or, or God said something to you and you want to obey it. Would you just get up right now? Just get up. Walk down here. Come to one of these people and let, let us pray for you. Come on. You're not alone. You're not for your family. I need another pastor here on this side. Somebody else? Come and pray with people down right here. Uh, Jonathan, you're here. Would you pray with uh, some of these pastor fellows here?
going to invite you to stand up if you would. And, and uh, I don't know what your background is, but I think we all believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to direct you. And I want you to get in groups, baby, with a couple other people. And I just want you to pray a blessing over them. Just a blessing over them. You say, I don't even know what to say. Say, okay, you can do this. Say, God bless them. God, would you bless this person? Bless their family, their ministry. And so, move around. Find somebody. Put your hand on their shoulder, their arm, their hand, and just pray a blessing over them. Would you right now? Just pray a blessing over them. Two, three Did I see Nathan back there? Nathan Klein. Nathan Klein. Your lights are on. Nathan, come on up. As the president of this LCN, Network of Churches. And why don't we get Ken and Rhonda here? Ken and Rhonda. Come on. Can you get up here? Come on up here. Would you pray a blessing over them and over their church and over LCN? We have other LCN uh, hub leaders here. Some of you other LCN hub leaders. Would you raise your hand real high if you're here? I saw Steve. I saw Jonathan. Raise your hand if you're here. Okay. If the guy with his hand up, that's the guy. A couple of you gather around right there. Gather, Gather around them. Hey, Rob, Jonathan's over there. You can come up here. Rob is the director of LCN. He's the quiet guy that gets everything done. Um, we got a mic up here. You know what to do? Yeah, let me pray over the leaders in the room. God, I just pray that you would uh, bless these pastors, these leaders, these volunteers, the churches that are represented, um, we know that you've given us a mission. You've given us the power that we need. 
you will give us everything that we need to do what you've called us to do. Uh, so, God, e- even your son said, look at the fields. They're right with harvest. Uh, God, would you bless these pastors with, with people to go out into the harvest uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ so that lives would be changed all over this area. God, would you continue to bless their work with student ministry, with kids ministry, with, with worship, with senior adults. God, every age group represented, every race, uh, every different church. God, would you touch them in a, in a real tangible way to show them some life change, provide for their needs, bless them financially um, so that they can turn around and be a blessing to those that are around them. Uh, God, thank you for the, the 800 churches across the country that make up the Liberty Church Network. Uh, God, I pray a special blessing over them as, as they're right now, the tip of the spear on the front lines of making disciples. Uh, God, in equipping their people, uh, hundreds of thousands of people represented just, just by the network alone uh, that have a calling and a burden for the lost and to make disciples where they, where they live and where they serve. God, thank you for placing them there today. I pray that you bless them with someone along their path that would encourage them, that would lift them up. Um, that would breathe some life into them today and uh, remind them that the work that they're doing is uh, crucial and that you promise uh, to be with them. God, whatever promises that you've given us through your word, uh, would you allow the Holy Spirit to bring them to our minds right now, that you would never leave us or forsake us, Uh, that, that you've got every one of our days marked out, that you've got a good plan for our lives, if we would just trust into you, that if we would seek first the kingdom of God, then all of the other things would be added. Uh, God, so many of your truths that we can hold on to that would encourage us today. And uh, God, for for Ken and his team, uh, God, thank you for their hospitality. I pray that, pray that you would bless their ministry here as they're a, a, a church on a hill uh, overlooking hundreds of, of people in this area, hundreds of houses that represent families that that are, are people that you love, people that you have a plan for, people that you want to redeem. Uh, God, would you start something here? Would we be able to look back and, and say it was, on, it was on this day, January 24th in 2023, where we saw a move of God, something sparked in the lives of these leaders, and this area was never the same, never the same. God, it's for your glory, for your name's sake in this area that we pray and ask those things with great boldness in your son Jesus name. Amen. Okay, I'm not Charles. <laughs> But I'm going to lead you in worship, and you are singing wonderfully today. So let's just praise Jesus with our voices. Enjoy what we've had here today, because we are going to see victories in this room today. Thank you. 
fully forever. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus one day. And we're all going to be together with everyone that's in the room, but the millions of people that are shouting holy forever to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. generations falling down in worship. Sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who've gone before us, and all who will believe, will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. Heavy angels cry, holy, all creation cries, Yeah. 
kings. Would you worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords with me? I want to thank you all for coming today. We welcome you here to, to uh, Liberty Church Network. I'd like to just remind you we have a local center that meets here. We meet the third Thursday of every month. Our next meeting is coming up February the 16th. That's two days before my daughter's getting married. Isn't that interesting? Anyhow. February the 16th, I'll be here with pastors from 10 a.m. to 12. We get together as just pastors, and we do what Dave just said. Pray, teach the Word, focus on the Word, and invest in disciple-making. We try to encourage each other. Some of my best friends are in that meeting. We have become the best of friends because of that meeting, and I thank God for those pastors. Would you thank God for your pastors in the room today, huh? Thank God, man. Thank God. So I would like to invite all of you pastors to come out to that next meeting here. If we're, we're casual, come and have a good time with us, and you will be encouraged like you were today. We just won't have as much encouragement, right? We won't have our band. We won't have all these things. But I thank God for Dave Early, for Matt Wilmington, all these guys, Nathan Klein, um, uh, Jonathan Falwell, all of our breakout speakers. Let's give our great God a hand and thank him for all that he's done. All right. God bless you. You are dismissed. Please greet a few people that you haven't said hi to yet today. Tell them where you're from. Have a great day.